0: Welcome to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku. I work with leaders in healthcare research, STEM, and other technical fields who want to develop an authentic leadership identity and create a healthy, inclusive workplace environment to retain the best people doing their best work. In other words, developing the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. Now this season, we've been focusing on developing identity, the second stage of my strategic leadership pathway model. And in fact, I just finished up our Tower Scope Leadership Academy nine-week beta test of our developing identity training. So I'm super excited to close that out and to continue this conversation today with Gareth Gwynn on how to build uh, bridges in a polarized world, which, by the way, is the name of her book. So we value evidence-based practical solutions. Be ready. Take notes. I do reflect deeply and identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscles. Now, um, Gareth Gwyn is the author of the book, You Are Us, How to Build Bridges in a Polarized World. The 13 stories in her book are from the perspective of 13 people who are radically different but are unified in having done the work of inner reckoning with their trauma, pain, and socialized identities. Identity is the topic of today, so this is very exciting to have her here. Through this, she describes how inner work translates into liberated leadership that serves community, workplace, and ultimately societal transformation. She's also the founder of Let's See Labs, a think tank that is the leading advocate for radical notion that polarity is a creative engine in organizations. This work recognizes that our differences in identity are highly compatible and can be a source of connection rather than conflict. I can't think of a better time to be focused on this topic than now. So welcome, Gareth. Very excited to have you here today.
1: Yeah, me too. It's great to be here and excited about this topic as well. I, I really love the um, bringing in the identity piece and how that relates to polarization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now. You and I met through the Athena Leadership Conference. Athena International is an international organization, but we went to Athena of the Triangle, which is their local chapter. And um, I believe the leadership conference was this year, earlier this year. Yep. And um, the way that we connected is I went to your talk and I was blown away by how quickly you got people talking about really deep difficult conversations and the passion that you had for this and um you showed us uh this film clip that was challenging to watch and um i think because it touched our humanity and so i had to talk with you more and we got to talking and i just love your perspective i loved everything that you had to say and so that's how we ended up here today with you on the show and hopefully we'll get into some of those deep meaningful conversations but I figured let's just start with something a little bit more lighthearted just ease into this okay I have decided to um play around with this delve deck that I just bought no they're not paying me for this but you know <laughs> hey delve deck folks if you want to sponsor me that's cool <laughs> but <laughs> I'm playing with it it's like just like You know, cards you take from a deck, um, they have like lighthearted, deeper, deeper, more meaningful. I'm just going to keep it light. I'm going to ask you a question that I pulled. And if you want to pass, pass. I've got three options. So you can pass twice, but you have to ask. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Here's the first question. What is the most underwhelming Taurus trap you've ever seen?
1: (laughs) Hmm the most underwhelming tourist trap.
0: Yes. And I can start, I can start um okay. I was in the middle it's in the Midwest and you start seeing these signs probably 200 miles from when you finally get there. I think it's called like Wallkill. Welcome to Wallkill. Um, you know, all of this amazing stuff about Wallkill. I'm like I have to get there. I have to get there. It sounds amazing. What is this thing? And we finally get there. It's like this small convenience store. (laughs) (laughs) It it was brilliant marketing. Yes. (laughs) It was so (laughs) underwhelming. That's hilarious. Yes.
1: Yeah. But led up to it, you thought you were going to get something and then just like, what is this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most brilliant marketing I've ever experienced. That's (laughs) funny.
1: Yes. So what comes up for me is also has that element of like seeing a bunch of billboards and being drawn into something. But for me, it was um, around the casino. It was like, I've never been to a casino before and I'll try it out. You know, maybe there's, there's fun in there. And and I felt very much, very much underwhelmed, very much like, Okay, I, I can see how maybe people get into this, but for me, it didn't resonate. And so I was just like, okay, well, gave that a shot once.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Also, kind of funny because um, my spouse and I go to Las Vegas more often than um, makes any sense because okay. we don't gamble and we don't drink and we don't party and we don't stay up late. And like, that's like that's almost Vegas. all of Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, that we find all of that underwhelming, we're like more interested in the show. So it's just really funny. That is funny. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Makes sense. All right. So let's get down to the first real question of today, which is how did you get into this kind of work? Yeah,
1: so I, the number one response to that is curiosity <laughs> um and how that evolved was really feeling impressed and inspired by nonviolent activists people who were really able to actually like pursue nonviolence in moments that it really mattered and so feeling that mm-hmm. that draw to those kinds of um leaders for a lot of my life but I would say the thing that actually catalyzed me into the the capacity to to start to embody that myself and really um you know, explore that personally was being able to actually take a lot of what I was learning around shadow work, around transformation, around healing and self-realization, and apply that to the socialized identity aspects of myself to understand how passive conformities and traumas played a role in the subconscious development of my identity and how to really use shadow work to break through and and um, come to know myself beyond those aspects of my identity, which doesn't necessarily mean giving them up, but relating with them differently. And so as I began to do that, I realized how, it, you know, impactful that was for my own journey and feeling more free. And when I say free, I mean free to respond to the world and free to respond to people instead of being clung in reactivity. And so realizing that, that that really did you know catalyze a lot of my capacity in that area and so led me to want to find examples of people who have done this in the world in some of the most polarizing contexts and really learn from their stories and find the patterns in those stories and then see how can we take those patterns while they have their distinctness Find the universal patterns and then build that into leadership workshops and programs, um, which is, you know, the philosophy in the book, but also in the programs that we deliver so people can um, learn to actually break free from you know these um subconscious yeah. identity aspects.
0: Yeah, I um gosh, I love this so much. This is why we connected, by the way, because um you take such a unique perspective to leadership. Workshops. And it's a sort of similar perspective that I take, which is there was something missing that I felt when it came to leadership development, um, and especially for women and marginalized leaders around leadership identity development, because um, the most traditional leadership development programs do not get into how difficult it is to enter into a traditional model of leadership um, and their definitions when it's so different than the messages that you've gotten and how you see yourself. And it takes you taking some time to break it all down and separate who am I from what are the societal messages that have been told to me about who I am and how I should be versus what, you know, where, where someone else comes in and being able to separate that takes some work and we don't spend enough time on that. And so we constantly perpetuate the same challenges. So you take, um, a specific perspective around that, um, that I really appreciate and value in, you know, the work that I do as well. Now let's, um, let's break down some of the, um, words that you use that I suspect people are wondering about. Um, the first thing that you use is shadow work. What is that?
1: Yeah. So it's a term that's kind of thrown around in like the self-growth community. But what I mean by that is saying that um, what are the parts of us that we've rejected or that you know we haven't fully accepted or loved? And so in relationship dynamics, they can show up when we feel triggered, we feel defensive, we feel reactive and that can be a guidepost to understanding, okay, which, what parts of of myself are still operating in the shadow that I need to bring into the light and then learn how to love myself more wholly. And so as I'm doing that, I'm reclaiming my wholeness part by part. And so then when the external world brings that same trigger to me, I have, you know, the spaciousness to say, hey, I don't have to conform to the external world. I also don't have to react to it. I can still show up and have a boundary. I can show up and and say yes and no and and I have spaciousness to make choice. And so I think as we um get curious and and you know find those shadow parts of ourselves, if we have the desire and the will to do that, then it can um we're we're ultimately on a pathway of reclaiming our wholeness.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important um because if there are parts of ourselves we do not and cannot accept. Right, we are more likely to become very defensive, or as some people say, triggered. Have um, strong reactions, take it out on other people, take it out on ourselves, sabotage our success because um, it's something that is so raw mm-hmm. that um, and and we haven't worked through it. Yes, and if. We can recognize what that is and accept it as just part of who we are. There's always a shadow side to all of our strengths, right? Every, even every strength comes with a liability when you overutilize it, right? So um, when we can identify what those are and be okay with it, you have a lot more agency and control about what to do with it. That yeah. There's a lot more control in that, Right.
1: Yes, there's a lot more agency. And I think that another extension of that capacity is inspiring other people. Instead of engaging them back into the battle where you stay trapped in that sort of um, Mm -hmm. binary battle, you actually, you know, people can see new possibility because you've been able to present the spaciousness for new possibility to be there. So I think that's where it can translate into leadership as well in terms of inspiration and living through through that example.
0: Yeah, and we see that, you know, when we go online and there's, um, you know, somebody we really admire and and look up to, you know, most of the time um, it's not because they have a lot of bravado, you know, it's because they've demonstrated that they've overcome some kind of adversity or challenge and accepted it and embraced it and then share with others how they did that. Right. And that is really inspirational. So absolutely. I resonate with that.
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And, and that we all have the capacity to do that.
0: Yes, absolutely. So with that said, um, we're nearing an ad break. After the ad break, I'm going to ask you about passive conformities. That's another thing that you brought up that I think people are going to be asking about. So you're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Branco, and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. We air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to join our online audience right now and ask questions, we are here. We're available to respond in real time on YouTube or LinkedIn at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be right back with just a moment with our guest.
2: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
0: Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Broncu, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Welcome back to The Heart Skills with me, Mira Bronku, and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. Gareth, are you ready for another random question from my Dell deck? I'm having yeah, like- too much fun with <laughs> Let's this. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. What overused word are you tired of hearing? Ooh. <laughs> I will share mine only because okay. it's come up um, recently because the Oxford Dictionary um, and Merriam-Webster has named this like the na- the word of the year, Riz, which my kids use. Oh, yeah. Well, my 14-year-old uses all the time and um, comes from charisma. But I've heard it so many times this week. I'm done. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm with you. So, okay. So my response is, um,
1: it's really personal. It's the word awesome. I have found that I say it too much like there's an automated response that comes when i say awesome and i i need to catch myself and be like you know the word awesome is a good word and it's full it's full of i'm you're experiencing full of awe you know and i want to be able to use it in the real context i mean it and not just be on autopilot in a response with it so i'm tired of myself hearing that from myself
0: awesome <laughs> you know I had to say that. Now I can't now I will never stop thinking about that one awesome.
1: Well, it's it's not when other people say it. It's more just I'm tired of hearing myself say it because it feels maybe I need to track my genuineness with it.
0: Ah, yes, yes. I get it. I get it. Okay, so back to like seriousness here. Um one other uh term that you used that I think people are gonna be curious about when we um focus in on um, liberating, you know, structures and um, separating ourselves from um, societal uh, messaging and norms is passive cons- conformities. You used what is that about?
1: Yeah. So. I think, you know, the word trauma gets used a lot and it can be a big term that can, you know, mean a lot of different things to different people. But I would say that um, one way to view trauma is to break it down into like acute trauma, you know, things that happen like a molestation or abuse. And then I would actually put passive conformity as a type of trauma, where it's more actually as we're living, we're adopting ways of being from the external environment and from our dynamics and culture that take us further away from our essence. We're not entirely sure that that's happening because it's a gradual additive process over time. So one example that you know I can use about myself is like we're talking about gender and women in leadership is saying, okay, what? What cult, like passive conformities have I adopted through just being identified as a woman in society? And if I break those down, I can say, okay, which ones reveal my shadow? That's really not me. And which ones do I want to keep, you know, and have that choice to say, I get to be the one developing my identity and not that culture is the one that is actually passively <laughs> developing my identity. And I, and that guidepost kind of comes back from what we were sh- sharing about that reactivity, where if I find myself in a dynamic and I'm reactive or defensive, if I get curious, sometimes I can lead to understanding how, oh, as a woman, I've learned how to make myself inferior in certain contexts. And so really taking responsibility instead of asking someone else to change, saying, oh, I'm the one who somehow subconsciously is stepping into an inferiority, and how can I step further into my wholeness? And taking responsibility to do that.
0: Yeah, I, um, I really appreciate that. And it's making me think about, and I'm going to share an example. Let me know if this fits this definition of passive conformity. So in our Leadership Academy... Uh, which is, you know, mostly for people who, who identify as women, um, we uh, talk about our leadership styles and how those of us who um, are much more naturally inclined to be um, assertive, drive things, um, directive, decisive, um, you know, those are positive Things, but from a societal perspective, we are told earlier in our careers, at least as women, that those are not valued for people who are women who, you know, in leadership roles. So Mm -hmm. instead, what happens is we find ourselves trying to tamp it down so that people don't see us as aggressive or loud or abrasive, right? And unfortunately, that means we lose a part of ourselves and our power because we're trying so hard to tamp down this piece of us that is a very natural you know, yeah. way of who we are. And once we are able to sort of move into a different space to reclaim, that is a piece of me and I'm okay with that. And how do I show up now in that? It's, as you say, it, it's very liberating, right? Um, to be able to do that. Does that fit into kind of how you're thinking yes. about passive conformities?
1: Yes, I think that's a really good example. And what's interesting about that is I think that the more that we're able to really truly authentically own that expression, the less sort of chaos or or consequences will emerge. And as we learn to do that, at least in my experience, there are some consequences. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn to be more assertive. And then as I do that, I have to let go of managing other people's reactions, other people's emotions, what they think of me, you know, and free myself from those expectations as well. And maybe there will be some consequences that I don't feel good about, but but being able to express my full self is still worth it. And over time, I think that those consequences lessen because we're more in, embodied in that expression. But for that short period of time, I do think there can be a little bit of a transition time that, that we have to let go of those external, um, the expectations of how this external world Likeability and and pleasing people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting, I just sent out a newsletter about navigating, identifying and then navigating emotional labor. And um, part of what you're saying here is what we, you know as as women often find ourselves doing, as well as people in certain professions, especially service oriented professions like medical professionals, where we learn, how to manage other people's reactions Mm -hmm. so well that we don't realize the amount of energy that it takes. And, um, you know, women and marginalized folks within organizations are often expected or feel compelled and pulled into um, doing more of this emotional labor work, doing more more of this work that, um, where you're managing other people's emotions, managing reactions, That is an amazing skill set to be able to do, right? But at the same time, recognizing that it does take energy and we need to sort of realize when it's not valued and what to sort of do with that, right?
1: Yeah. And that we don't have to do that if we don't want to.
0: That's right. That's right. So, with all of that, now we've gotten all the definitions, all of the jargon, verbiage on the table, okay? Um, When we think about developing leadership identity, how let's let's talk more about this leaning into polarity mm-hmm. as something that is valuable when we're developing our leadership identity say a little bit more about that piece
1: yeah so it, it, in the macro sense, it's like we we think of polarization in these two different, the, in the cultural wars, right? And different um, groups of people being pitted against each other. And in the microcosm of our bodies, it's like, okay, well, how does polarization present inside of our body? And oftentimes that presentation is in the activation of the central nervous system. It's saying, oh, I detect a threat. I need to protect myself. And so if we can regulate our nervous system, like, you know, then we get that spaciousness to be able to choose. And if we can't, oftentimes that translates into polarizing leadership, instead of non polarizing leadership. And so when we add that up in the aggregate, we get this macro reflection of what's happening inside of ourselves, really that the the wars of ourselves and trying to, to um, work through our own emotional experience. And so in terms of um, polar- showing up as a non-polarizing leader, or we use the term in our workshop liberated leader, is liberating ourselves from how those triggers control us and from how, you know, the identity pl- is a great place to, to point us to the guidepost of where we might be stuck, um, our identity facets. But ultimately, it's really just anywhere we feel we're giving our power away to something we call an enemy to something we blame someone else. We judge someone else. And so we get vulnerable to collapsing into polarization when we're giving our internal power away and assuming that the world, the external world needs to change in order for us to feel okay. And so it's really difficult. (laughs) Um, and, And And I think one thing that's particularly important to to say around this, too, is that we do need an environmental context where we have the space to be able to regulate our nervous system Um, and being in a war zone where we're just, you know, there's just so much stimulation of the nervous system. We may not have the capacity to be able to do that. So um, if we can to find spaces where we can build that um, and learn to relate with our emotions in a way that we don't collapse into polarization.
0: Yeah. So. Um, it sounds like, um, what you're saying is if first we can identify when we're, um, triggered or reacting, um, to something where, um, it feels threatening, but maybe it's not threatening, right? In, in reality, but we're ha- we're having some reaction that it feels threatening, um, If we don't recognize that we're doing it, we're more likely to become a polarizing leader or non-liberated. If we can identify and do something with that and regulate a little bit um, those emotions, those reactions, um, we can better be able to navigate um, really stressful, um, you know, really sort of... um, threatening feeling situations. Is that right? That's accurate. And whether
1: it is a real threat or a perceived threat, either way, if we're able to do this, we still have more agency to show up and attend to the real threat or to, to realize there's just was a perceived threat and there's no problem. So either way, it serves that leadership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, folks, this sounds easy. <laughs> it is not easy to do this. Right, Gareth?
1: It's not easy. And that that reminds me of the video um, of the Palestinian that we we connected around and how he did that in the middle of a situation that was incredibly hard to imagine being able to relate that way, you know? And so um, it's inspiring to see people do it to know that it's possible because it's rare.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great place to um, uh, stop for an ad break. And when we come back, Let's find out about that film clip that we keep referring to and what this Palestinian was able to do in that situation and um, why it's so inspiring, but such a challenging situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a reminder, you're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Baranku, and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. We air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Please feel free to leave us any question or comment online right now. We are live at talkradio.nyc at YouTube or LinkedIn. And we'll be right back with our guest in just a moment.
3: Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the Nonprofit Sector Connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on TalkRadio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on TalkRadio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business
4: today. In a post COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us.
0: You're
1: listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc broadcasting 24 hours a day.
0: Welcome back to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. And um, some of you heard me coughing before. I am on week three of this cough that won't ever end. So yes, I'm trying so hard. I've got my halls. I've got my tea still. I'm doing my best. But you will probably hear me still coughing and grumbling and (laughs) things like that. Anyway, welcome back. So, um, Gareth, yes, the um, film clip that you showed, I had um, a really sort of interesting, you know, strong reaction to Um, it was a good reaction, you know, um, thought provoking share a little bit about this um, among the the many film clips you had um, share a little bit about this one and what it portrayed.
1: Yes. Great. And I'd love to hear also more about your specific, what came up for you as well in the story. But um so uh, the film clip that we're referring to is uh, my friend Shadi. And uh, Shadi is Palestinian. And through an interview with him, um, we put together like a very short video clip about his transformation journey and how he learned to remove himself from the victim oppressor duality and really uh, see his identity as a human. And part of his story talks about how Growing up in the West Bank, he was just constantly um, around violence and around threats and his nervous system. And he he was um, always activated and he was feeling a lot of anger. So anger was a big part of his um, childhood growing up and fear as well. Um, And so he talks about one time he came to an intersection where there was um, an encounter of three different people, one of them including an Israeli with a, you know, an armed Israeli with a gun. And he, Shadi's intention was to help a woman cross the road, but there was misunderstandings once the Israelis saw and recognized he was Palestinian. So all of a sudden, in what would have been just a normal um, situation of him to help a woman cross the road became amplified into this identity crisis where it it transformed into the, um, you know, the potential of violence to erupt and he said in that moment he felt his anger just coming fully through him and he he was very tempted to defend himself and become violent into the situation and say this is wrong you know i and but he said there was something in that moment that allowed him to recognize his identity beyond being a palestinian that he was actually a human and that this Israeli was a human and that this woman in the street was a human and that he recognized that what was controlling the situation was actually fear and everybody was in a fear state and that fear can you know, be presented into violence and anger when it's not acknowledged as the foundational activation of fear that it is. And so as he was able to you know, regulate that and, and recognize the both the humanity and the commonality of the fear that was governing, governing the situation, he was able to deescalate himself and remove himself from the temptation to engage in that violence. And so it's really inspiring in the sense that he was able to do that in such a um, heightened state of, (laughs) of threat. And that, you know, I find that really inspiring and rare that when people are able to do that. And so, um, Shadi also now works with um, with Israelis in helping to build these bridges and understand how these identities are presenting as fear and how we can you know pull back and actually understand our humanity underneath it all.
0: Amazing, yeah. It's really um, <clears throat> it's really inspiring. It's really powerful. Um, you know, I think that the thing that um, that came up for me is the empathy that I felt for him. Um, in that moment, trying to sort of work through all of that, um, you know, and, uh, both feeling, um, legitimately understandably threatened, um, and because it was a dangerous situation, um, and at the same time trying to, um, make the best of it and make a human decision, a decision, careful and thoughtful about other people and, you know, how, how rare that happens. And, you know, um, you know, on a personal level, I am um, a Jewish person who has family in Israel. And I also have a lot of good friends and colleagues who are both Palestinian and Muslim. And because I grew up with a really close friend who was Muslim, I have a deeper, more special understanding and relationship with people who are Muslim, and I feel like we have a lot more in common than there are differences between people who are Jewish and people who are Muslim in those faith systems and how we sort of um, focus on the good and peace, you know, and and yet we're constantly receiving messages that these groups of people should be against each other for one reason or another, and sometimes to the point where... Um, you know, I want to lean into the discussion of like, you know, um, um, our humanity and yet sometimes people don't want to go there. You know, yeah. some people, <clears throat> um, get upset, um, when you want to have those kinds of conversations, right? So, um, what I'm curious about is for leaders who are in this situation, right? Like. Here, here are people in, let's say, official leadership capacities within organizations, and you know they're constantly trying to figure out how to respond to these national and international crises, you know, and um, to to sort of be able to bring people together within their organizations, and especially if you're like in a global company, you have sometimes have people who work in those areas that are fighting against each other, you you might have a branch in the Ukraine and another in Russia, for example, or whatever, right? So um, you're always thinking, what do I say? Do I say anything? And many leaders want to stay silent and or they find that when they're not silent and they wanna say something, sometimes it can be polarizing depending on what they say. Um, A lot of times though, leaders are humans too, and they're working and processing through their own reactions, like trying to make sense of it for themselves before trying to know how to respond. So I'm curious if you have any frameworks um, about how leaders can be thinking about approaching these conversations and bringing people together.
1: Yeah, definitely. So this is at the heart of what our leadership development programs offer at Let's See Labs, which is amazing. So we and one of the things we really focus on and why we look at storytelling is is sharing how what are the stories we're 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 what are the stories we're creating about other people? What are the stories we're creating about ourselves? And how are those stories perpetuating the us versus them duality? And if we're willing to examine those storylines and those narratives. We get the shadow work. We get these these places we can go and then find out where we as as an individual can pursue our own healing journey to then show up in non-polarizing leadership. But we also get to be able to start to look at vocabulary and the ways in which we're perceiving and intaking reality and taking responsibility for that. And so I think ultimately um, we, we look at how At an individual level, that's where we have the the place where we can make change. And then that raises the probability that as we continue to do that on our journey, we're showing up differently and exemplifying that behavior, which increases the probability that invites someone in to that different paradigm, that different view, that different story that we're telling of the world. So as you said, yeah, we're constantly getting these messages that are pitting us against each other. If we say, "Whoa, you know, wait a second, come back." What's the storyline at play here? And we take responsibility to, sh- to expand upon that story. And instead of being a mutually exclusive narratives, we can see how there are many coexisting narratives can happen at the same time. Um, we can begin to change the languaging and the narratives around the culture and an environment in which we're embedded, in which we exist. Um, and I think, to your point, that does take that individual leader pursuing their own. Um, transformation in alignment with that as well
0: yeah so can you give us an example of what this looks like for a leader to go through this journey from start to finish um you know it could be like three through, through your program what does it look like or just um from what you've seen the people you've coached the people that you've um consulted with um, what? Where do they start? What? Are, what is their thinking? What? What do they usually say? And what does it look like, um, as you see them moving into this kind of new space?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so everyone's you know story is so incredibly distinct. So what we try to do is maintain the paradox that. Everybody's story is different, and we have these universal patterns. So we really want to emphasize both of those. But when you start to look at the universal patterns of, of leaders going through these journeys, um, it usually does start with resistance. Usually that is a really good sign. And so that's why, you know, in the when we talk about leaning into polarization... It's saying, leaning into where we're called into a polarity and collapsing into that and saying, oh, I'm feeling a lot of resistance to what's being presented.
2: Mm-hmm. And so we
1: create a lot of space for the resistance to be invited and actually a good sign that we're getting to territory that has not been explored. And once we are able to you know, work with that resistance, then we can get into like the specifics of individual stories and where people are clinging to different parts of their identity and subconsciously trying to defend it. Um, so we kind of can work through individual stories and triggers and things like that. And then we really also um, one thing that's super important in the pattern is the learning how to feel, learning how to grieve, learning how to be willing to feel something instead of resist that feeling. And so we really focus on just, you know, it's it it seems simple to say learn how to feel, but it can be really elusive. So we really try to like bring exercises around what does that even mean and how can we invite people into that? And once people are doing that, there's a, there, there tends to be a lot of humility, a lot of that empathy and humility start to emerge where. Oh, I'm starting to see how previously I was in such tunnel vision. And now that my, my body is opening to feeling the stories of other people's realities, there, there can be a sense of shame. Oh, I'm, I'm shame that, that I previously didn't see this. And so we, we love, we, you know, that, that experience of humility and shame, we try to work with that and process those emotions. Um, and ultimately there's, that access to that love, that universal capacity to see that, you know, we're all that human, the human humanity beyond what it is we were previously blaming or judging or defending. So those are some of the patterns that we see happen. And through that, like I said, one of the tools we work with is understanding s- storytelling and narratives that are driving the fundamental belief systems that govern our reality.
0: Yeah. Um, it sounds like, first of all, this takes a lot of vulnerability. Yes. You, ha- you have to be willing to be honest with yourself and with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to ask of some people.
1: Yes, yes. And I I really appreciate you pointing to that because that also speaks to some of the um, authentic relating piece that we bring in as well, that's really important. And so that's another tool that's a really important takeaway that we can use in real time dynamics.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I have a million questions, but we're going to go into an ad break first. And then I'll ask my million questions. Great. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Brancu, and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Branco host of The Hard Skills, on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hey,
3: everybody. It's Tommy D., the Nonprofit Sector Connector, coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners?
0: Welcome back to The Hard Skills with me, Mira Bronco, and our guest, Gareth Gwynn. I have a million questions and I have literally like two or three minutes to extract all of your knowledge. So (laughs) let's get to it. So you were talking about um, some um, universal experiences when people go through this work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Resistance makes sense, defending their story, Um, then feeling grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, humility, empathy, and also perhaps shame, all of the feelings, all yeah. the feelings. And liberation, of course. Is... And liberation, yeah. liberation, okay. And so, um, boy, does it sound a lot like the Kubler ross grieving model, doesn't it? Letting go? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, there's some, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. A few
0: things there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk just about like the, um, we were saying how, it, it takes quite a bit of vulnerability
1: mm-hmm.
0: to move into this. And when you're having some difficult conversations, and especially if they're about, um, quote unquote, touchy topics, polarizing topics, mm-hmm. um, racism, sexism, all the isms, for example, right? Um, what um, h- How do people who have already been in positions of vulnerability most of their lives, like people from marginalized backgrounds, right, who have already faced racism and, um, you know, all the isms, right, Um, and they've learned how to protect themselves smartly, so, right, Um, to now lean into these conversations in a different way and still allow themselves to be vulnerable, but perhaps in a different way. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, I think having the self-awareness to know when we have the capacity to engage in a situation versus when we don't, and being willing to say, I don't have capacity right now, and then returning to the situation when we do, if we feel like it. I think that's part of it as well. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, I, you you mentioned the distinction between maybe showing up in a different type of vulnerability. And I think one aspect of that is recognizing what that that, that vulnerability is ultimately for us. Now, the byproduct is that it often very much helps other people and inspires them, but the liberation and the the vulnerability and, and our capacity to, and, and expression of that is for our own freedom. It's for our own full expression of living a life where we have more access to expression and joy. And so maybe just shifting that kind of where's the motivation coming from? And if it's the kind of vulnerability where we're really facing a new part of ourself and and on our growth edge, most often we do feel a sense of um, energy it becomes energizing and not exhausting. So I think that's one way to maybe begin to tell as an indicator what kind of vulnerability we're in. If we're in the exhausting side of it, maybe it's not quite on that liberatory vulnerability and it's more in the um, reactive piece. Yes, Um,
0: I really am resonating um, with this idea that it's in service to yourself mm -hmm. and your desire for that feeling of liberation or letting go of things that have been unhelpful and harmful, Mm -hmm. you know, in the past to you, but it's in service to self because going back to the emotional labor, it's when we're trying to, you know, be vulnerable for other people, but it's not in service to ourselves necessarily. That's when it gets exhausting and we get resentful, you know? Yes, Um, yes and, and, and make sense. Now, well um, mm-hmm. one last question. Um, when people start feeling the feels, right. The, the feelings that they did not want to feel right. Um, and that's not humility and empathy, which usually feels okay, but the shame feels bad and the shame causes people to go back to resistance. Doesn't it? So I'm mm-hmm. wondering like, what, how do you keep people from going right back to their mm-hmm. usual, no, I'm going to shut this down. This feels really bad. I feel like a bad person, you know, or that kind of thing.
1: So this is one reason why we do this work in community. So we like to work with teams or groups of people because we, when we go into shame to have other people offer reflections of love, if we don't have in that moment, the access to self-love, then other people reflecting that love back can help us access that love ourselves. And so instead of going off into like a shame loop where it's, we can get out of control. Um, we're able to kind of break that cycle and use each other in community and reflection to actually learn the frequencies of love, the access of love, the, 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 the ways we can find that. And then ultimately we We encourage people to be able to do that themselves, to find self-love and and halt their own shame loops. But that journey often does need community support. And so being able to reflect that and empathize with each other as we're in those really difficult moments is important. And being able to reach out and say, hey, I need support. I need help, you know, because we are interdependent as humans. And so I think that's where the community piece comes really into play.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate that also because um, shame often comes from the negative and harmful societal messages and the stories that we've told ourselves about our actions, our beliefs, our feelings. And yep. if you could find a community that helps you break this experience of feeling like you're a bad person for having a feeling, right? Um, or finding another way to think about how to lean into these difficult conversations but in a supportive way it is um quite transformational
1: yes yes and then we can actually begin to have the um, openness to, to to get curious about it and say oh is shame an indicator that I'm believing about something about myself that might not be true oh okay well what is true you know and so that there's a um, there's an openness there where curiosity can come back in a little bit instead of being trapped
0: in that yeah. Absolutely. So, Gareth, out of all of the things that you shared, there's a lot there. What is the one thing that you would like people to take away from today?
1: I would like people to take away the possibility that they can be a part of non-polarizing leadership, liberated leadership from wherever they are, whenever they are, that every single human has access to it. And it's our willingness that we can turn on inside to be able to step into like what you said earlier is a really hard journey, but it's ultimately very rewarding and everybody can do it from wherever they are.
0: Yes, absolutely. And um, so where can people find you?
1: Um, people can find a, a more about the leadership uh, development programs that we have at let's see labs.com. That's Let's See. Like, let's see what happens. Let's see each other. And let's see these short films that offer us examples of this kind of leadership. Um, so that's let's see labs.com. And my book, um, You Are Us, How to Build Bridges in a Polarized World is also, there's links to that on there as well. So you can sign up um, to connect with one of our facilitators or get the book and read more of these stories and learn more about this approach to leadership.
0: Awesome, and um, for those of you who are uh, watching the live or, or later recorded version, um, here is a little bit about um, Let's See labs.com I'm showing you this gorgeous website. Uh, in and of itself, you just visit because it's a beautiful website, um, but you can find out all about the programs and um, what you can learn. Um, there's a lot of resources here. So thank you for sharing that. The, Um, the takeaway for me, because I want to sort of bring this back to leadership. I think a lot of people don't recognize, like, what does this have to do with leadership development? Everything. I mean, leadership development, I keep saying this all the time, but leadership development is personal development and personal development can turn you into a leader in all spaces. All spaces have to, you do not have to hold a, an official position of power or, or authority in an organization to be a leader in other people's eyes. And being able to experience this process um, will help you um, become a more um, sort of um, influential um, agent of change because right. you understand yourself well enough to know how to be in the world with others, right? Right.
1: Very well said. Yes, I I resonate deeply with that.
0: (laughs) So audience, what did you take away? And more importantly, what is one small change that you can implement this week based on what you learned from Gareth? Share it with us on LinkedIn at Mira Branku or Gareth Gwynn and at talkradio.nyc where we could cheer you on. Um, We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all over the place. But I live on LinkedIn. I think Gareth does, too. That's- so come visit us there. Um, we are also on iTunes and Spotify. Please go subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, share with others to increase our visibility and reach and look for more information about our upcoming Towerscope Leadership Academy, which opens again in 2024. We're going to open up applications very soon. Do not miss it. Um, in this episode, we describe one of many aspects that we'll be talking about in developing the nuanced hard skills needed to become an exceptional leader who can drive significant systemic change, make real impact. So visit us at gotowerscope.com if you're interested. Thank you to talkradio.nyc for hosting. I'm Dr. Mira Branco, your host of the Hard Skills, and this was our guest, Gareth Gwynn. Have a great rest of your day, wherever you're coming calling in from.
4: radio nyc uplift educate empower in a post covid world you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. What
3: really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Aswell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today.
0: Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Broncu, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc.